43 Years of City Leadership, a conversation with Tom Hart, City Manager of Grand Prairie, Texas. It's Grow Great, the podcast, season 2021, episode 11. Hey, welcome inside the Yellow Studio. My name is Randy Cantrell. I'm your host here. I appreciate you clicking play. Tom Hart has served as Grand Prairie, Texas city manager since 1999. Prior to that, he was an assistant city manager, later a city manager in another city for 16 years. He was one of the youngest city managers in the history of Texas when he served as a city manager at the age of 23. Tom is known for his attention to world-class customer service and his innovative management style. He's created the city's popular and successful mission to create raving fans by delivering world-class service. I'm going to put links over at the website. You can find them by going to growgreat.com. You need to check out Grand Prairie, Texas. Uh, As most people know, here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, which is where Grand Prairie is located, there's a lot going on. We've had tremendous growth. Housing is off the hook. Uh, A lot of really exciting things happening in this area. There's a lot of pluses and benefits to being here in Texas, but I'm biased. But you can check out the links, and you can learn more about the city of Grand Prairie, Texas. And I hope you enjoy this conversation that Tom and I have about leadership and his personal philosophies and his views of leadership and culture. Enjoy. I'm interested in how you view leadership. I know that's a very broad question, but take it wherever you want to take it. Well, that is a broad question. Uh, Leadership, uh, to me, is the ability to create a vision, and get a group of people aligned going towards that vision. And that doesn't mean that the leader has to be the one that solely creates the vision. I mean, I think you can you know, bring that team in and become part of that process. But it's better if you can get the people involved in, in helping to create the vision. But a lot of times you've got to at least plant the seed. And the way I've always described it is leadership versus uh, management. Uh, leadership's pulling, management sometimes pushing. And that's kind of been my philosophy. And my philosophy has always been also that I think you, if you create the right culture, that you can get towards that vision. And by creating the right culture, that, that, that touches on so many different Areas. It's not a simple answer to that, but the culture is creating an environment that people are happy to be in. They want to be in. You have the ability to bring in the best of the best. Uh, you have people buy into that culture, uh, and they have fun. They are creative. They're innovative. They are service oriented. They, uh, they want to make a difference. They want to change the world. That's, that's a culture. And every organization has a culture. Uh, it can be good, bad, or indifferent, but they've got a culture. And when you're a large organization, like say, you know, in this case, I've been with the city of Grand Prairie for 21 years. When I, when I got here, it had a culture. 
it was like I walked down the hall and I felt like I was working in a mausoleum. <laughs> I mean, it was, in fact, I'd been here just a short while and I looked over at the wall and I know people think, well, he's crazy. He talks to the wall. But I said, it's not Kansas, Toto, you know. It was horrible, horrible. Well, we're a big ship, and it took a while. But the goal became to change that culture. And to do that, leadership to me was going out and starting with what you got and telling them what we could be, telling them what we were going to be, creating a picture, getting them enrolled in it. And then uh, I, I kind of borrow from uh, Jim Collins. Isn't that the one that wrote Good to Great? Yes. Yeah, I love what he says. You get the right people on the bus, wrong people off, yep. get them in the right place. Uh, that always sticks with me. And, you know, when you take over a large organization, you get a little bit of everything. Uh, some were great. Some were good. Some were not, not so, so good. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, if you're going to create the right culture, you're not just cold calculating, chop people's head off. You do things right. So it takes a little time if you're going to have and support that culture to work an organization. I mean, if somebody is a year from retirement, you're probably not going to right. you know, gut them. <laughs> right. That doesn't exactly, uh, you know. On the other hand, if they're 10 years, you may urge them a little quicker. So, But you get your, start getting your team in place. You start putting the right people in place that have a shared vision, that have the shared values, that buy into that culture. Once you start getting that team, it feeds on itself. And then it even gets easier because people want to be there. So that's what leadership is to me. It is... You, you help create that division. You may put the vision out there, or you may help them get involved. You get people working with you. You start getting that team aligned, and you make it real clear where you're heading. I, I told people when I came here 21 years ago, and this a lot of people said, Grand Prairie, why would you go to Grand Prairie? Didn't have the best image. Well, when I came here, I brought the staff together, and I said, we're going to make this a world-class city and a world-class organization. And they said, uh, they kind of chuckled, I mean, some of them. Well, you know, 21 years later, I, I was teaching a class to our employees last week, and I started putting some slides up there, and I said, you know, we may not be Paris or Rome, but look at some of this stuff that we have done in Grand Prairie. I'd say that's pretty world-class stuff. So you got to be bold with your vision. You've got to put it out there where it's really something that's, I mean, it's, it's pretty grand. You want it to be grand. So that's my philosophy. Uh, then the nice thing is, you know, a guy like me doesn't have to be that smart because when you start getting those right people on this bus – they start taking us to the right place. So that's what I've been fortunate. I have had the great fortune of working with some of the most dynamic, visionary leaders that you could ever imagine. You know, Can I give you an example? Please. Um, 
there's a building that's a little blocked by the trees over here that, needless to say, the people on the radio can't. And we're on Tom. We're in Tom's office, which is beautiful and corner as you would expect, and full length windows all the way around the room. Well, it is. And let me comment on that first of all. It was um, over the last 21 years we have built some of the most gorgeous buildings and facilities for our citizens, for our employees. It took me 20 years to get a window. <laughs> yeah, and this is a brand new place, by yeah, the way. 20 years. I had lots of staff that, you know, <laughs> didn't even want to come meet with the boss because they didn't want to come down to my office. But, no, it is beautiful. I'm very proud of it. But there is uh, one of our buildings that is uh, a couple of hundred yards over here. Uh, is our Parks and Recreation Administration building. Well, in about two hours, we're going to have an official ceremony naming that after the director that retired. And it will become the Rick Harold um, Parks and Recreation building. Rick Harold is a gentleman that I think is one of the most visionary people I've ever met. He was a guy that I hired in 1980 when he was a senior in college. And that's a long story in itself. Uh, We were in a small city that was just forming. I wanted a Parks and Recreation Department, could not afford one. Ended up doing a deal with the University of North Texas where we did a contract with them and the professors would be our consultants and we would hire students as our staff part-time staff so in effect we had a parks and recreation staff so rick harold ended up being a senior that was hired to be the quote director well that was uh, 41 years ago uh rick and i worked together in three cities i brought him here and uh so he retired not that long ago and we're naming a build building after him why Well, when I came here, I asked the city council, I said, tell me three priorities right now. And one of them, they wanted to take their parks and rec program back to a a level it used to be, or even higher. We uh, uh, didn't get any any argument out of me. I love parks and rec. But I knew to achieve that, I needed to have the best in the business. So long story short, I recruited him back. He joined us here. He worked here, I, I don't remember the exact time, 17, I, I don't remember the exact time. But why is there a building being named after him now? Why does our Parks and Recreation Board, why does our city council want to name that building? Because this guy came to our city, and during that tenure, we won two gold medals. That doesn't mean anything to you, but in the world of Parks and Recreation, very few cities in the country ever win a gold medal for Parks and Recreation. But during his tenure, he won two. He brought projects to Grand Prairie like none in the country. Uh, give you an example. Ten year, a little over 10 years ago, under his leadership, we built a facility that we call the Summit. The Summit is a building that was built, first building in the country, built for baby boomers. A lot of cities used to have senior centers. Well, I'm 66. I'm sorry, but I'm not going <laughs> to a senior citizen center. No, I'm 63, and I'm not going either. <laughs> See, that's the point. Yeah, exactly. And Rick 
was visionary enough to know that. So long story short, we built something called the Summit. It's never mentioned the word senior. You have to be 50 or over to go there. And that was how long ago? About 11 years ago, roughly. Uh, So real visionary at the time. Oh, yeah. Well, even today. I started to say. Even today, and let me put that in perspective, just about a year ago, there was an article on the front page of the New York Times talking about baby boomers. And what did they mention? The building in Grand Prairie, Texas, called the Summit. That's excellent. On the front page of the New York Times. That's what I'm talking about visionary. So it, it took a culture that he wanted to come to to get him over here. But the results are you get the right people in the right place. Like I said, they'll take you. So I kind of helped in the beginning creating the broad vision, what we're going to be. We're going to be a world-class city. We're going to be a world-class organization, and I want to touch on both of those a little bit. Again, I'm not trying to compare with Rome or Paris, but a world-class city to me is we're going to offer our citizens, our customers, a level of service that's go way beyond what the typical city will. They're going to be proud to live here. They're going to be proud of their facilities. They're going to get services and amenities here they wouldn't get in another city. That's that's what I'm measuring as a world-class city. And then when I talk about a world-class organization, my dad worked for the post office. My dad grew up during the Depression. My dad grew up on a farm. My dad didn't have a lot of education. But my dad went to a job every day to take care of his family. He was from that generation that that's what you do. What I found out later was he didn't really enjoy that job, but he did what he needed to do for his family. So I am extremely proud of what that man did. But I also said to myself, if I ever have a chance to influence an organization, I don't want people coming because they have to. They don't have a choice. I want an organization that will be so good that people will be there because they want to be. People will be so good, if they can be here, they can be lots of places. I want them here for a choice. They made the choice. That's a world-class organization. You know, we got to take care of our people. That's always been my philosophy. Because if, if we don't take care of them, why don't we think they're going to take care of our customers? Yeah, exactly. Simple as that. And we want them taking care of our customers. So you see how it all folds together? If you want to achieve that for the organization and your mission, you know, you got to blend in that whole culture. So years ago, and I'm, I'm rambling. I hope no, you're okay. good. Years ago, one of my sons did an internship in another city, and one day he got to sit in on a meeting where – there were three cities represented there, three large cities, and the city managers from each of those cities. And it was kind of neat for the first time being in a meeting with my son. And later that night, we talked about that meeting, and I told him, I said, what you saw there were different styles. And I, I wasn't being critical. I wasn't being complimentary. I just said you saw three styles of leadership management. And I said, I would label my style a culture-based management leadership program. There was another manager there that was a process-type 
manager. He was more of the Six Sigma, you know, process, you improve the process, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, you know, I'm not saying, I'm not being critical of that. I mean, I, in fact, I would probably say under reflection that we could probably, in my organization, use a little more process sometimes, where I think they could have used a little more culture. So, but it, it was interesting just being able to contrast the differences in talk. But, but I like our style. Our style has been able to bring in people like a Rick Harrell. And he is one of a whole list of people that I could go down. Uh, our CFO right now is recognized one of the top CFOs in the state of Texas. Okay. Well, you know why I need that? We're doing cutting edge work here. We're doing innovative things that a lot of cities aren't doing. I can't have just a normal CFO. I've got to have one that'll stretch. I've got a legal staff here and a city attorney that we are stretching them to the limit, you know, saying we got to find ways to make things happen. And, but we got to do it legal, ethically, and moral. So we've got to achieve the level we're achieving. You got to put the right team together. And I circle back and one more time say my philosophy on leadership, you create that culture that can recruit that great talent and then get out of their way. Well, high-performing people, we both know, they want to be stretched. I mean, they get up in the morning wanting the challenge as opposed to people that may not aspire to be so high-performing. And culture is contagious, as you pointed out, which is why your Parks and Rec guy followed you everywhere he went, I suspect. Well, other examples. I I wanted to take our police department to a new level. Here's an example of um, going out and finding the right leader. And interestingly, having a conversation with the mayor one day about leadership. And he said, well, I told him, I said, we've absolutely got to find the right person for that. And he said, one person, are they going to make that much of a difference? And I said, yes, they are. Well, I'll tell you the end of the story first. Uh, Several times over the next few years after we filled that position, he came back and said, you were right. You know, one person can make a difference. Uh, We took our police services to a whole new level where now our folks are training other departments our, in fact, our chief was asked after the Ferguson incident. Our chief did training for all chiefs in Texas on how to handle that. Uh, we've had some situations here, but you haven't seen the reaction in our community like others because we brought in the right leader to take that department who was out in the community before something happened and creating credibility, creating trust, creating a level of service out of the police department that uh, was unprecedented. Taking officers and hiring the best of the best, people that truly believed in service, officers that wanted to help people. Our crime rate over 10 years dropped 48%. Huge. That's huge. That's huge. So, again, when I talk about wanting 
to create a, a vision of a world-class city. I think a safe city. We're now ranked as one of the safest large cities in Texas. Well, that just doesn't happen by accident. It happened because I hired a guy named Steve Dye to come in and lead that department, and he made those changes happen. He created an environment that, well, let me put it in perspective. Yesterday, I had an opportunity to talk to a new recruit class, and there were, I don't know, about seven what we call laterals we hired from other departments, and I got to meet them all, and nearly every one of them said they came because they heard the reputation of our department, okay? The best of the best. It breeds, okay? Yep. It breeds. So that is my philosophy. One other thing I will say just to, to point out this philosophy, and you come uh, from getting to know you, you've told me you come from uh, a strong private sector background, I had an interesting debate with another mayor that was here. I've been fortunate over 21 years to have gotten to work with two outstanding mayors who were great leaders themselves. One of them um, runs a uh, CEO of a large company that he owns. Another one is uh, uh, owned a uh, successful insurance agency and had been an executive with an insurance company. And he and I had an interesting debate several times, and it was what motivates people. He said to him, you got to go out and find that back when he was in the executive level of the insurance company. You had to find the right people. He agreed with that. And then you put them on an incentive program. You know, it had to be something where they were incentivized from their commissions on their sales. That would make them successful. And I didn't argue with him. I think that is, uh, I think that can be a nice tool that you utilize. So, but I used, in fact, I remember using the example of the guy we're naming the building for today. I said, you know what? I watched that guy for many years. I mean, he wouldn't turn down an incentive program, but do you know, we wouldn't have gotten any more. From him, I mean, he was 110% in every day because that was his passion. He loved what he did. He was committed to what he was doing. So, like I said, he'd have been happy to take a commission. I mean, take a, some kind of incentive. Sure. And the mayor, you know, again, from his background, he just didn't quite understand that. How do you motivate somebody? There are people that are motivated totally to change the world a little bit, or in this case, change the city. And it's been fun watching that. I was a young man, Tom, when I, I, I stumbled onto a book that had been written back in the 60s. So I'm 63, so I was born in 57, just to give the audience some perspective and context. And a guy named McGregor wrote a book called The Human Side of Enterprise, mm -hmm. and it changed my, it changed my world. Because somebody had finally put language to what I innately and kind of instinctively believed to be true. Now, I was a young guy. I was in my teens. So I hadn't proven anything at this point. I just had a lot of theories in my head as a kid who grew up working on a retail floor selling stereo equipment. And it was the, the theory X, theory Y. Well, I'd never heard those terms. You know, theory X meaning we have got to kick their butt or they won't do the work. Theory Y being they want to get up every morning and they want to do good work. 
And I was clearly a theory why guy, but nobody had put language to it that way. And that really formed, I mean, that was my perspective going in, but I, I, for the first time as about an 18, 19 year old, I had language that I could now put to it that that's a belief. That's a worldview. Here's my question. What do you think is the, is the difference? You and I both know that the world is filled with leaders who view their leadership as coming from a place of authority and not influence and have a worldview that we must, we must be all over these people or we, you know, not necessarily micromanage, but we have got to be some kind of a force in their life or they won't do good work versus guys like you and me who clearly come from the other end of the spectrum that believe good people. And I tend to want to believe that most people have it in them and they, they don't want to get up in the morning and do bad work. I mean, who, who wants to do that? I, I innately believe that the majority of humans want to make a difference. They want to make a positive contribution. They just need an environment, to your word, a culture that will afford them that. I don't know. Your thoughts? Oh, I, I mean, from what I've said, you, you know I'm going to agree with that. I think it's uh, absolutely the way it is. And uh, sadly, a lot of people don't recognize that. They think that, uh, you know, it's that authoritarian style. And But, but you know what, let, let, let me give you this example. I found a... Uh, little diagram one time that I use. I use it in my training. I, I give it to my staff. And it is a uh, diagram that it has a, uh, how do I describe this, uh, arrow. Think about an arrow kind of going from the wide end of the, of the arrowhead down to the narrow. And it talks about the way you deal with uh, your team. And at the very tip of the point, you're in a tail mode. Okay. Yes. And as you work your way back up to the wider area, there's different there's different ways you deal with your folks. I've actually given my folks that, and I tell them because my philosophy is this, and I and I tell my folks this: ninety seven percent of the time, ninety seven percent of the time, I work with my team. Three percent of the time, I have to put on a hat every once in a while that says boss. Because I got one piece of blueberry pie, and I, do I give it to my police chief or do I give it to my fire chief? Sometimes you got to make a decision, and you got to be in a tell mode. And but when you operate ninety-seven percent of time in a more collaborative mode, if your staff knows that and appreciates that and respects that, they understand you got to be the boss every once in a while. But 3% of the time, and that's typically because there's something that affects, it's something that you got to make a decision because it affects multiple areas. So that is, it's real clear. And I, I use the point to make people understand that. Look, tail mode's not bad when you do it at the right time. I've got fire lieutenants that have people underneath them that they are going to take in a burning building. And if they're in a burning building, and the ceiling is getting ready to fall in, that is not the time to have a collaborative discussion on, well, guys, do you all think we ought to exit the building, or do you think we should stay here? I need somebody at that point in time in a tell mode 
telling them, get the heck out of the building. Decisive. Yeah. So there's a time and a place. Most of the time, you can be more effective working in the collective. So you mentioned that, you know, the process kind of process versus people. But it seems to me in this conversation that you might be more you might be under you might be underselling yourself as far as the process, because you clearly you clearly are looking and measuring I mean, as you're looking at the performance of your team here in Grand Prairie and a building that's fixing to be named after, you know, one of your exemplary leaders, you're, you're measuring stuff. You're, you're, you're looking at the details. You're not just, well, the, the analogy I make is bowling in the dark. Who wants to go do that? You know, nobody wants to go. You want to be able to see the pins that you're knocking down. So talk to us a little bit about, about how you measure how you measure performance, how you measure whether or not you've got the culture going in the direction you want. Are there some key indicators that stick out to you? Well, that, that, that's a good question. And, again, I have never – I've always kind of faulted myself in the fact that I'm probably – I probably should have been a little more processed at time to create some maybe even more formalized metrics and so forth. But I think there are informal ways – that 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 you can look at that um you know again i i i we brought our employees together to work on a uh, our vision to work on our mission statement and our mission statement uh, is creating raven fans by delivering world-class service uh, i i have a little joke i play when i'm working with uh, employees i'll go around and ask them hey uh what business are you in? And they'll invariably want to answer it. I'm talking about especially new employees. Well, I'm in police. I'm in accounting. I'm in public works. Uh, so after I ask that two or three times, I say, wait a minute. I didn't ask you what job you're in. I said, what business you're in? See, our business is service. I've got some people. I mean, I've got golf pros. i got chefs. i got police officers. I've got ambulance folks. I mean, you know, i got... 1,800 people doing all kind of jobs, but every one of them tie into to service. So are we delivering good service? Well, here's a little of the way I measure that. Um, last year during, uh, we had all the issues last summer with police happening around the country. We went to our citizens and asked them to vote a tax on themselves to support police. And it passed uh, overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, to put a tax on themselves. I, I use a barometer like that. We have a public hearing every year to give citizens an opportunity to comment on our budget. We are 200,000 people. I had zero people come in to complain or contest about our budget. All of our elections for things that we've asked the city to support have been overwhelming votes. So there are barometers that I use. You know, you listen to your customers, uh, and you seek that information. We do customer surveys. So we look for, you know, we don't take silence and fine as necessarily good. Right. Okay. So those are kind of the, the way I measure that. I measure it from, I have, I, I am so fortunate here that, for 21 years, I have had an unbelievable 
dynamic governance. Our board of directors, our city council has been so supportive, not like other cities. Uh, It's unusual here. We have an environment where our staff both likes and respects our council and our city council likes and respects our staff. They, they truly are a team. And this staff wants to make that council successful. This, this council is so supportive. But they have let us do some things that have, made, that have put us on the map. So we've been very lucky. Before I forget, there's, there's one other item. Are, are, are we winding please, down on time? Please, I just want to be respectful of your time. Uh, one thing I want to point out that I am proud that we have done here is talking about getting out of the box a little bit. I think you've got to be innovative. And, you know, again, I, I, we could do a whole program, but I think, uh, you know, our city has really looked at becoming entrepreneurial. And we do have areas of our city we run no different than any business does. We're trying to do full cost recovery, and we're trying to make money because if we make money, we can put it back into more services for our citizens. But let me give you some examples of getting out of the box. I've always considered the library one of the great measures of a city. It's just something as a kid I enjoyed. I love going to the library. Uh, it's just one of those things I, 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 I use as one of the measuring sticks of a great city. But you know, what I saw happening was uh, libraries were becoming a little bit like Blockbuster. Okay, Blockbuster, you know, for young people may not totally know, but, you know, was a man, that was a company you went and got the book and, you know, the movie and rented it. And and all of a sudden they woke up one day and they didn't have a business, kind of went away. And I didn't want that to happen to libraries. So one of the most controversial hires I have made on my executive team was it is an accepted standards in cities that when you are going to hire the head of the library, you hire a person with an MLS degree, Master's in Library Science. That's just what standard fare. Yeah. Well, like I said, I, I the, the most challenge I got from anybody ever on my staff was a number of years ago when I hired a new director. I hired an MBA who was so strong in marketing, it was unbelievable. And, Randy, I wish you could see, I I wished I had something in front of me to tell you, but you want to talk about metrics? Look at the numbers on our library utilization. Because I had, at that time, I'm trying to remember, it was either 11 or 13 people on our library staff that had MLSs. Okay. Which I respect. Do you understand? Sure, sure. I, I'm not, but you've got that covered. I, we had that covered. Yeah. Like I said. Right, 11 times over. Yeah. So we brought in a leader with an MBA and a marketing background who has made our libraries relative again. They're not a blockbuster. And the numbers are through the roof. They have become relevant. They're providing service levels above and beyond. That's what I mean by being innovative. Another example, we have a building that we built called the Epic. Nothing like it in the country. Hope you get to go in it one day. It's, you know, a lot of cities have a traditional rec center. Well, this has some components of a rec center, 
but it's got other things. You know, we built that summit for 50 and over. Right. The Epic is for everyone. The Epic's got a little bit of everything into it. It even had an, an apartment that we can recruit a artist in residence so we can do an art program. It's got a teaching kitchen. It's got a full recording studio. If there's a kid in town with a garage band, we can we have as good a recording studio as anybody in the Metroplex. We've got a little bit of everything. Well, that is a flagship that needed the right captain. So we are recruiting a leader for that right now. And we either today or in the next day or so are making an offer to a person that's never worked for a city, never worked for a, quote, rec center. And I'd love to sit here and let you guess a little (laughs) bit. They're going to bring that building to life. That building has a theater in it, performing theater, art. It's got a fitness. I mean, it's got all these components. So we're putting a person that's running, and I am excited to see how they're going to animate and bring that building to life. So that's that's what I'm saying about getting out of the box a little bit. It's awesome. I want to be respectful of your time, but let me ask you one last question before we wrap this up. How important are stories? These stories that you're telling and your ability as a storyteller, which you're a gifted storyteller, how important has that that particular tool and avenue been in building (laughs) cultures for you? Uh, You know, I'm chuckling at that because, yes, I teach with stories. That is my methodology. And what I chuckle about is, Every once in a while, my stories are relative and make a good point. <laughs> but I feel sorry for my staff that, you know, when I forget, I've already told them that story three times, <laughs> and I'm telling it to them for the fourth time, and they're sitting there going, oh, God, here he goes again telling that story. But no, uh, you know. But we go to church and we hear sermons because we probably need to hear the same truths over and over, right? So there's that. So, yeah, I, I, I think – I, I just think stories are a good way to make points, tell, you know, uh, tell people, you know, and usually I do it in a way I'll bring the humor. I think humor, I think it's so good to be able to laugh at work. And uh, you know what? I, I look back and when I, t- when I look at a lot of the stories I tell, they are blunders I've made in the years <laughs> past. I mean, come on. You might as well, if you lay an eggs. You know, step That's back in it. How we learn. And learn from it. So, interesting you asked that question. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, I think a lot of leaders use stories as a way to make people understand. So. Well, you're good at it. He's Tom Hart. He's the city manager for the city of Grand Prairie, Texas. And I appreciate you being on the show, Tom. Well, Randy, thank you for having me. I, I'm sorry I rambled. but No, you, you did good. You got me going into some areas <laughs> that I love. So. I appreciate you. Thanks for listening. I appreciate you. Check out the website, growgreat.com. You can find out all about me and the various things that I do. Helping leaders 
establish and sustain high-performance cultures in their careers, their teams, and their organizations. Let me also hawk, for the first time, a free free coaching sessions. That's right. I want you to sample the experience. You can find links over at the website, growgreat.com. Thanks for subscribing. Thanks for clicking play. Greetings and welcome inside the Yellow Studio. Welcome.